Hello, and welcome to Independent Thinking, the weekly podcast from Chatham House. I'm Roxanne Escabales, the editor of The World Today, which is the international affairs magazine from Chatham House. This week on the show, we're discussing Argentina's presidential election, which has already served up some major surprises. Defying expectations, the country's centrist economy minister, Sergio Massa, won the first round. He managed this despite presiding over a major financial crisis and with inflation ballooning around 140%. But it's Massa's rival and opponent in the second round who has been making headlines. He was leading in the polls up to this point. That's the libertarian populist Javier Millet, who's known for his outlandish gimmicks, such as attending rallies with a chainsaw and insulting the Argentinian Pope. We'll discuss what to look out for in the next three weeks or so of campaigning. We'll also consider what's at stake in these elections for Argentina, but also for Latin America and potentially further afield. Joining me in the studio is Dr. Chris Sabatini, the Senior Research Fellow for Latin America here at Chatham House. Welcome back to the podcast, Chris. Thank you, Roxanne. Joining him is Vanessa Rubio Marquez, an Associate Fellow with our Americas program and a former Senator and Deputy Minister in Mexico's government. Hello, Vanessa. Hi, Roxanne. Thanks for having me. And we also have Natalia Garardi, a lawyer and executive director of ELLA, a gender equality think tank and advocacy organization in Buenos Aires, where Natalia joins us from. It's morning over there, Natalia, isn't it? Good morning. It is early morning. Good morning. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, we appreciate you joining us on the podcast. We're going to start with Argentina's elections. Chris, the surprise wins by Javier Millet in the primary this summer really upset the apple cart. Not just in Argentina, but he made headlines around the world. Can you give us some political and economic context of the elections and why Malay's popularity was so unexpected? Yeah, he came in as an outsider candidate in the extreme. I mean, in every possible way. He had only been a one-term congressman. He had been a television commentator. Um, he He's really a, a far-right uh, libertarian, uh, although in, only in the economy. We'll get back to that. I'm sure Natalia will have some things to say about his views on women's rights, which he's not so uh, uh, libertarian in those issues. Um, but on the economy, he is. He, he's a, he, he's an acolyte of, of Milton Friedman. In fact, he's named his dog after Milton Friedman. Uh, I don't know how Milton Friedman would have felt about that. But the uh, he, he also, he basically calls himself an anarcho-capitalist. And what he's calling for it's really an extreme remake of not just the Argentine state, but the Argentine thinking about political economy. Argentina's economy has grown up around a very cozy relationship uh, historically um, among unions, uh, crony capitalist, uh, and as well as the party in the state, and which and, and a state that has really kept its popularity for a long time, but also broken the bank uh, by giving subsidies for fuel. Uh, for um, a range of things, including also uh, bus and public transportation. And he, he really wants to do, with, do away with it. Now, why did he erupt in this way? And part of this has to do with Argentina's steady economic deterioration, effectively uh, since 1999. Um, but particularly in the last 20 years, uh, you've had uh, two governments, 16 of those years it was governed by the Peronist Party, which is the Peronist, the party right now in power. And for four years, there was a, a party called the Pro, and now it's called uh, Juntos por el Cambio. Um, but it, it basically, during that time, the economy continued to contract, the fiscal situation worsened, and inflation steadily climbed. And so Javier Malay was basically riding this wave of sort of anti-establishment uh, sentiment, in particular among the young, who are looking at very high unemployment rates, who are looking at very high inflation, and a contracting economy. And so Basically, he just he tapped into the sense that people just wanted to throw a brick through the window of Argentina's political economy and its political system and uh, shake it up. And he did well. 
he didn't do as well in the first round of the elections uh, on, on October 22nd. Um, and we can talk about that. But uh, primarily, I think people were surprised that the incumbent economy minister did quite well. And the answer, and that's Sergio Mas, and the answer in that partly is because he, he did a typically perilous thing, which was basically give away cash. He removed income taxes for 99% of formal workers and gave away money to pensioners. And that, that plays very well in the Argentine uh, political system. Natalia, did you want to come in and... Yeah, may, maybe I would add, um, Massa did well as a typical Peronist candidate, but also the alternative did really bad. They had a very, very bad campaign. So there were no many alternatives left. Vanessa. Thank you, Roxanne. Yes, just an add to what Chris very well described. Also, Millet has managed to go against very important groups of society by trying to blowing up the system. So against women who have been having this battle pro-abortion, against its security and stability, which is basically against the business environment, against the Catholics, which you mentioned at the beginning because he has been you know, saying all these things uh, for the Argentinian Pope against those that believe in climate because he's not a climate change believer, uh, against those that work in government because he wants to get rid of half of the government and people want to have their jobs. So, so he has managed to, to have uh, all these sectors uh, angered and, and being distressed by these uh, trying to blowing up the, the system. No? Thank you, Vanessa. But let's talk about Massa, the man who actually did get most of the votes uh, in the latest round of, of, of the elections. What can you tell me about him? He's a curious figure. He actually had been a conservative for a while and conservative right-wing party in, in Argentina and then switched to being a Peronist. He's viewed as centrist, pro-business. Um, he, he really, he, it's funny, his reputation is very solid among Peronists and some members of the, the business community, despite the fact that some of the Peronists, you know, are, are typically anti-business. I'm going to stop you there, Chris, because you keep talking about Peronists, but perhaps some people don't know what that actually means. A party created by Juan Perón, uh, who had come to power um, effectively through a coup and then worked his way through. Um, it's, a, it's a very heterogeneous, amorphous, one could say sort of uh, um, vertical party that has really, even when it's been out of power, it's shaped power and shaped governing in Argentina for decades now. Uh, and, but it's, it has ties to the, uh, to the unions, but it's also, again, it's very ideologically amorphous. It's um, had governments that have been very neoliberal and governments that have been very uh, left. So he, he really represents a sort of big tent of Peronism. Okay. So going back to Massa then, what was his uh, campaigning on? He said he gave away all these freebies to people to get the votes. What does it actually mean if he actually were in power? Uh, that's unclear. He, his, his term as economy minister hasn't been a terribly effective. We still have a pending $44 billion loan to the IMF that he hasn't been able to reduce or pay. Um, the economy is still in a tailspin. Uh, but what he does represent is a very effective grassroots party organization. In the Peronist party, they're called punteros políticos, and they're basically party bosses that work in neighborhoods. They're very effective at getting out the vote. And so he really represents sort of the traditional clientelist patronage uh, base of both the Peronist party and, and, and in some degree, the sort of political um, sentiment of, of Argentina. If I may add, Roxanne, I think also Massa represents certainty. So you might like what he's proposing or not, but you have certainty there. Whether in the other side with Millet, it's basically a jump to a vacuum. And what uh, the business uh, want, what the private investors want, both domestic and internationally, what the markets want, what the IMF wants is certainty. So certainty is very important. And I think that's a reason 
uh, why we uh, have to analyze or the lens in which we have to analyze the recent election. And so you've also, you've run your own presidential campaigns or in presidential campaigns in Mexico. Um, so tell me about then, what do you think has been going on around behind the scenes when it comes to campaigning and Massa's campaign when they came up against somebody like Millet? I think that Massa did a very good campaign the previous month, maybe, to towards this uh, last election in October, because he actually enhanced that certainty. So he very much distinguished himself from a candidate that wanted to blow the system, but you don't know where he's taking you to, no? uh, to something that is more certain. Uh, he's controlling the narrative with the IMF. He's controlling the narrative with the markets. He's controlling the narrative with the domestic uh, most important actors, uh, economically speaking. So I think that has given uh, people an anchor. And when you have volatility and when you have uncertainty and when you have a, a very a fragile environment, what you want is an anchor. So I think that voters are looking now for, for that anchor. And if Millet wants to do something in the future, he has to give more spaces of certainty and he would have to more, more, move more to the center. No? Can I just add one thing, too? And, and I know uh, Natalia is going to add to this because she mentioned um, the other candidate. And the third candidate is the, the candidate of pro, Juntas por el Cambio, which is a center-right pro-business party. And it, they ran a horrible campaign. Um, and in some ways... Um, they detracted, they split the vote for Malay. They're more pro-business. And so th while they represent more institutions, their, their term in power, their time in power under the former president, Makri, was was not great. It, it, in fact, the, the trends of economic decline and inflation continued. And their candidate, uh, Patricia Bullrich, was not very strong. So you now you have, uh, effectively, for the second round, that's coming up November 19th, basically the, the, that party, the th party that plays third, is going to split its vote. Half of the leaders are aligning themselves with Massa and half are aligning themselves with Malay. It will make for a very interesting uh, coalitional dynamic. And Bulwars has just come out and supported Malay, hasn't exactly. she? Exactly. So that um, just adds another layer of complexity. But we're <laughs> sat here in London watching these things uh, from afar. Natalia, you're actually in Buenos Aires. What are people talking about um, on street level? Has Malay actually managed to shift the political narrative for everyday Argentinians? Um, I think there's a very deep sense of frustration in Buenos Aires, in Argentina, generally. Um, one thing that we have to take into account is that Millet had a very uh, large number of votes. He himself had a very large number of votes all through the country. But all his candidates, through the provincial elections, did very, very poorly. That's why when the primary elections took place in August, it was such a surprise for, for him to be the one sole most voted candidate because his people through the country in the previous provincial elections, the local elections, did very poorly. But there's a sense of deep frustration in people because traditional political parties and traditional coalitions have failed through the last 20 years to provide any solutions to everyday problems. We still have Rising inflation, it's now 140% inflation, which is absolutely crazy. It's, it makes everyday life very difficult for people on salaries or doing uh, or working on, on their own. There's a very poorly functioning education system, health system. So this sense of frustration actually fueled the popularity of Javier Millet uh, who is, as, as you described, an, an extreme outsider candidate. But on the other hand, one of the things he says and was actually very um, moving for people is that you cannot make 
a new country with the same old people, which is like catchy and interesting. But the truth is that he's surrounded of old people. He's surrounded of the same old people who were in power for the last 20, 30 years. So that is just something he says, but not something that he will be able to provide on. And so if you were born 20 years ago, I mean, the country has basically economically been staggering on its feet for the past 20 plus years. Yeah. So if you're 21 today. Yeah, you have no you have no memory of the very deep economic, financial and social crisis of 2001. Um, you just saw the very, I mean, during the, during the first years after that crisis, when the economy started to work a little bit better, you were too young to remember. And then you only have a memory of the last 15 years, which has always been going worse and worse. And more importantly, if you're a young person and you lived through democracy all your life, you have no memory and probably very little knowledge of what happened during the dictatorship. So Millet and mostly his vice president candidacy, saying that dictatorship was not really a dictatorship, but rather a war with two sides, with a little, with some unfair results on some people. I mean, that is something that anybody who lived, who were born before 1980 cannot really, I mean, you cannot swallow. While um, for younger people or for people who are less involved with the values of democracy, well, it doesn't seem so problematic. So who's voting for Millet then? Are the young people uh, voting for him? Are the abuelas staying away? What's going on with the segmentation of the people who are supporting him? Well, when you get 30% of the votes, everybody is voting for you. No? So, so you're getting votes through across all social economic divide and across gender. But his voters or his supporters are mostly young men. Uh, so it's men under 35 who are massively supporting him more than women under 35, but also men and women who are just too frustrated with traditional politics. Just to add on, on Massa, he did a, the traditional Peronist campaign, but he's also a political animal who wants to be in power. He wants to be president, and he's been wanting to be president for a long time now. So he's, he also knows his way around the, the policy and, and political parties and the economic uh, forces in Argentina. And that provides certainty. Not that he has a very strong word because he's moved around for, for some time now, but, but at least he plays within the rules. And that's the, the difference. Massa plays within the rules while Millet certainly does not. I would only like to add, if, if we just close our eyes here in London, there in Buenos Aires, there in Delhi, there in Melbourne, and we watch the globe, no, what is happening in the globe, this is happening everywhere. Frustration, polarization, populism, outsiders uh, trying to offer uh, quick uh, solutions to the very complex problems we have today. This is happening in in India, this is happening in Hungary, this is happening here in the UK, in my native Mexico, in Argentina, everywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. So if we zoom in, this is happening a lot in the elections in Latin America, that the elections that happened over the last two years, the elections that have happened this year, the elections that are coming next year. And if you zoom in 
to Argentina, I think Natalia mentioned this word several times, frustration. So those that are being frustrated are basically 100% of the Argentinians. And the decision is you're frustrated and you want an anchor or you're frustrated and you are willing to give it up for a candidate that will provide possible solutions, but a lot of uncertainty. So, so I think that's what it's the debate today in Argentina. But again, I think many of us can relate to that frustration sentiment that is guiding the elections elsewhere. Can I just add one thing? What's left unsaid, we've been alluding to it, is, is an, and I'm sorry if I'm going to lose people on the economic technicalities here, Malay's ideas are bonkers. Um, they, they, you know, he's, he's proposing abolishing the central bank, dollarizing the currency entirely, just wiping out the peso. He's proposing cutting public spending by 15% of GDP and eliminating the health and education ministries. Vanessa is absolutely right. We're seeing this around the world, including in the United States, of course. But you know, this is even even this in terms of the rhetoric is even more extreme than anything else. You have, you know, people that are much more presidents that have been much more misogynist and racist, like Bolsonaro. But, you know, in this case, you have a president who's proposing a set of economic that is a really going to, you know, completely untested and remake if they were to, if he were to be able to implement them. And, and, and Natalia is absolutely right. He's surrounded by a lot of the old ruling class, which he wouldn't want to admit. In fact, he's financed by one of the business groups that benefited from public subsidies and public auctions and has been really sort of the classic crony capitalist. But if he were to implement this, it would be a drastic wrenching change. Not only that, um, Natalia mentioned as well that his candidates performed very poorly provincially. So if he were, for any reason, to become president, how effective could he actually be with legislation or pushing through any of these policies that he's been promising on the campaign trail? I think right now he'd be in a better position if, in fact, uh, the the party that placed third, Juntos por el Cambio, actually does ally itself with them. They've got a, a bank of seats and they will help allow him to be able to push through legislation. But that's not the end of it. He doesn't have any provincial um, representation, barely. You know, the Juntas Puerto Cambio is split in its support for him. Plus, he's in his public speeches, he's demonstrated a remarkable, frightening lack of tolerance for pluralism and opposition, saying he would throw people in prison if they protested against him. So it could be very messy. I want to talk in a minute about the regional implications. Natalia, I did have a question for you, though. Um, you are set in the middle of a gender equality think tank and advocacy unit. Millet seems to be a bit of a danger to women's uh, rights and all the gains that people like you have been fighting for for decades now. Can you tell me a little bit about what he represents to women's groups? Millet is a very um, actual threat to all the rights and policies that we've been fighting for and that we achieved for the last 40 years. During the, the 40 years of this democratic period, which has been so far the longest democratic period for Argentina history, women's rights improved considerably. Women's economic and social situation improved, even in the middle of this very problematic social situation generally. And he has actually said that he would rather have um, many of the laws over, overturned not just abortion law, not just legal abortion that we passed three years ago, but also he has clearly said that he doesn't believe, he and, and the people around him, they don't believe in there is gender-based violence. They don't believe in gender-based violence. They think that all the laws and policies addressing gender-based violence and femicide are a breach of the principle of equality before the law. 
using the same lines from the authoritarian playbook that everyone yeah. else um, uh, has come before him in the same vein has has said. Chris? I just want to add something very quickly. As much as we uh, criticize the direction of the Argentine economy of the last 20 years, we have to recognize the gains that Natalia just mentioned. Tremendous gains in terms of LGBTQI rights and marriage equality. Argentina has been a leader in the region in terms of abortion rights. It has created sort of a database to monitor violence against women. These are huge advances that he, you know, risks tearing down. Despite all the other problems that may exist in the economy, Argentina has been a progressive um, example within the hemisphere. Argentina has had a leading role in Latin America in terms of women's rights and women's movement. And this is all in jeopardy now. That is why women's votes have become very important in this election. Um, Millet has very little women supporters, and we feminists and, and, and the human rights movement generally, we have been working on women getting uh, a say in the election. And that is something that really came through, and we saw it in the last Sunday's elections. Massa had the women's support. 40% of uh, women supported Massa as a candidate while Millet has very few women supporting him. So we talk about the social uh, progression that Argentina's uh, witnessed and experienced over the past 10, 20 years. I'm going to ask Vanessa now, go to Mexico, because it also has an election coming up next year. It's probably watching what's happening in Argentina with interest. Um, We're looking at two leading female candidates for president, uh, possibly a third outsider, Can you tell us a little bit about what Argentina's elections mean for Latin America? I think that there's a a lot of elements taken out from the populist uh, book, no? So basically, the populist Bible would say there's no diversity. You would rather polarize, and polarization requires two poles. So populists and authoritarians tend, tend to not like diversity. So LGBT groups do not exist. Women do not exist. Uh, Special needs do not exist. The climate doesn't exist. So basically what they want is to confront two poles, el pueblo, the people, and um, me, the the authority, the leader, or uh, we, uh, el pueblo, against the elites. So basically this playbook uh, that is now a, a part of the Argentinian election was also a part of of Mexico's election back in 2018, an election in which I actively participated and will also be part of the election in 2024. So it's basically about polarization, about populism, about dividing the society into groups against us and the elite and accounting for this frustration that is generalized in society and this culture of privilege, a culture of privilege that has pervaded in the case of Mexico, that is in the case of Argentina, and in the rest of the Latin American countries, very deeply rooted. So all of these populists, all of these new leaders are actually appealing to this frustration in in order to gain votes, and they're doing well. Andrés Manuel López Obrador in Mexico has 60% of popularity. Uh, Bukele in El Salvador has the highest popularity in the world, 90%. No, so so these populists are doing very well on polls. So so uh, what lies ahead for Latin America is yet to be seen. Uh, Argentinian case is going to be a good one in that regard. Uh, Brazil case was also a, a good one in that regard. Now we have Guatemala, uh, also um, Peru. 
Colombia, no? So we're just having this pendular politics in the region. And hopefully we, we do better in the future because sound policies that stay for longer usually get better results for the population. And that's what people want, no? Want to eat, want to have a good job, want to have a good housing, want to have, have services to housing. This is at the end what politics is about, no? Well, you mentioned the 2024 elections in Mexico. Um, there's actually going to be some pretty significant elections around the world, uh, which we'll be looking at more deeply in the pages of the December-January issue of The World Today. Um, I've got one final question for each of you. The Argentine elections will be in three weeks. What are your expectations, Vanessa? I think my expectation is that uh, Milei has gone too far. Uh, and unless he comes back a bit to the center, and he tries to create ties with these uh, groups that I was mentioning that have been irritated by his positions on very extreme uh, topics. Uh, I think uh, it's going to be a tough uh, election, but uh, more likely uh, for for Massa to win. Chris? I, I, I disagree with, politely, um, <laughs> with Vanessa here. I think Malay, because of the support from Juntas por el Cambio, um, I think two things will happen. Um, you'll see a migration of, of some center-right businesses move to support Malay. Uh, and I think you'll see them then trying to, to, to basically pull Malay back to the center a little bit more um, in a way that will moderate him. If he were to stay the way he is with his really inflammatory policy ideas, and not even policy ideas, they're just wacky proposals, then he wouldn't win. But I think you're going to see people try to pull him back because for some people, that anti-Peronist sentiment is so strong uh, that they'll vote for anyone who isn't a Peronist, even if it means someone who's a little bit untested. So I think it's going to be a very close election, I think. But if I were a betting man, and I'm not, I would put my thousand pesos, which is about 10 cents, on uh, maybe not even on uh, uh, Malay. Natalia, in Buenos Aires, what are your expectations for the 19th of November? I expect democratic values to prevail. I hope that the society in Argentina will remember that 40 years of democracy cannot be tossed aside and that we will not celebrate our 40th anniversary of democracy, passing on power to somebody who despises democracy so hardly. So I, I hope that it will be seen that his ideas are impractical, they're contradictory, that are a danger to, to the democratic values that we hold so dear. And I expect Juntos por el Cambio to remember the values under which they were they came together, no? And see the, this move that Macri and Bullrich made last night as a, a, a treason to them, to their own values. And that is something that is already happening. So middle, middle center, uh, Juntos por el Cambio members and the Unión Cívica Radical, which is the party who was first in power after 1983, they will certainly not support Millet. And I hope on that. What a wonderful note, a note of optimism uh, to end the podcast on. And that's the show. A big thank you to my guests, Chris Sabatini, Vanessa Rubio Marquez, and Natalia Garardi from Buenos Aires. Do follow them all on Twitter. We'll have the links in the show notes. And a reminder that you can find all of Chatham House's podcasts on Apple, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms, as well as through our own social media channels. So please do like, follow, and subscribe. Also, leave us a review, but only if you like what you hear. To read more from our experts or to find out more about our events or to become a member, and we'd love to have you, don't forget to visit our website, chathamhouse.org 
where you can follow the work of all of our programs, including our America's program. Goodbye from me, Roxanne Escobalas, and thank you for listening.